Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What are we going to be talking about today on our episode of Hot Girl Briefing? We're talking about the Summit of the Americas, which, if you haven't heard, happened in early June. Okay, okay. So something pretty recent then, something on top of politics that's not Russia-Ukraine, that's not the Supreme Court, something a little bit different. Yes, it was held June 6th to June 10th, and you could say the Summit of the Americas is a Gemini. The Summit of the Americas is truly a Gemini, <laughs> and we love yeah. we love to hear it. Yeah, it happened during my birthday, and like, notice how I said it. My birthday happened. I didn't say my birthday happened during it. Like mm-hmm. this happened during my birthday, and then exactly. it ended the day before yours. So, okay. like, a lot of stuff going on. Love to hear it. So, okay, so let's just jump right on into it. So. Erica, what exactly is the Summit of the Americas? Yeah, so it's this conference that brings together leaders from the countries of the North, South, and Central America region, as well as the Caribbean. Okay. And the summit and its stakeholder forums promote cooperation towards region-wide inclusive economic growth and prosperity based on shared respect for democracy, fundamental freedoms, the dignity of labor, and free enterprise. And that is a direct quote from the United States government website. So, Okay, so pretty much there's a bunch of different stuff going on there. So you have civil society organizations, you have representatives from various indigenous communities, you have civic leaders there, you have people from the private sector, such as business execs and entrepreneurs, and they all meet each other here at the summit. So another direct quote from the American government. It is aimed at, quote, promoting dialogue and developing plans of action to address the challenges and opportunities facing the people of the Americas. Yeah, those people are all alongside. I would say like the biggest part of it is all, they're supposed to be the heads of government, like, you know, your presidents, unofficially dictators. Mm -hmm. They, (laughs) so they're the ones that are like the- (coughs) the main main meat of the summit and then yeah like you mentioned the indigenous communities business executives like a lot of people do take part in it Mm -hmm. so there's like a fair bit of people around here yeah and there's actually like a really fun way that they kind of decide who hosts next which is the nation that hosts the summit of the americas serves as the chair of the summit and the previous host serves as the vice chair so a little bit of a round robin Kind of like passing it down, you know, like, hey, like, we're here to help you if you need it. But if not, like, you're doing amazing, sweetie. Yeah. And each summit focuses on a critical area of cooperation for of interest to all the countries in the Americas. And again, this is specifically for everybody in the America region, like Europe's not coming in, China's not coming in. It's just for the Americas. And the reason we're talking about it is because it was held in the United States this year. And it was held in Los Angeles, California, like we said, from June 6th to June 10th. And this is actually the first time that the United States has hosted since its inception in 1994. Okay, interesting. So because normally you would just expect America, like the United States, just to always like host everything, just because traditionally there's been a lot of Olympics hosted here. There's been a lot of summits hosted here. So, you know, kind of interesting that America hasn't hosted it before now. 
Well, they did host the very first one. So that's probably why they were probably okay. giving like every country like a turn. Cause I mean, okay. the United States is kind of who created it. Mm-hmm. So they're probably so like, okay, let's, yeah, they're like, let's have everyone get it one time and then it'll come back to us. Okay. That's fair. So truly like a round robin, we love a circle moment. Yeah. And do you want to tell us Hunter why they chose Los Angeles to host the Summit of the Americas, which this one was the ninth one. I don't know if I mentioned that, but it's yeah. So LA was chosen because it is the second largest city in the U.S. and it's also home to the largest Hispanic slash Latino community in the U.S. So, quote: "The diversity and connectivity of Los Angeles shows our hemisphere and the world the best of American society, and will foster an inclusive environment for all summit participants." So we see that that was kind of why it was picked out is because you know. If you can be in that environment, why not have America put the summit in that environment, I guess? And so it was ultimately hosted by President Biden. Yeah, and I ma- it makes a lot of sense what they say. I mean, Los Angeles does have a very vibrant Hispanic and Latino community as somebody who was born in California and who has a lot of family in L.A., like definitely a Hispanic Latino cultural hub, which is a large portion of the ethnicities within the Americas. Not all, but a large portion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, especially if you're having a summit and you're having a lot of private sector people come as well, it makes sense to where it would be, you'd have that large population that would want to partake and participate in this. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the very first summit of the Americas and just, you know, who hosted what. And like we mentioned, it was the first one was in 1994, hosted by the United States. President Bill Clinton at the time convened the very first summit of the Americas in Miami, Florida, another Hispanic Latino hotspot. And he did this to, quote, promote economic growth and prosperity throughout the Americas based on shared democratic values and the promise of increased trade and commerce to improve the quality of life for all peoples and preserve the hemisphere's natural resources for future generations which sounds pretty good to me. Mm -hmm. Pretty solid sounding right there. (laughs) Yeah. And in 1994, it was the first like hemisphere summit since 1967 when Uruguay hosted most of the region's leaders, but it actually didn't include Canada or a lot of the Caribbean. They're like Americas, except Americas, but we're going to (laughs) exclude a lot of this. We're going to exclude a lot of the hemisphere right here. Yeah. I mean, I could not tell you why there was not that information in our post. Very interesting choice. A little passive aggressive, if you ask me. Just a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, the summit since then. So since 1994, it's been in Santiago, Chile, in Quebec City, in Mara del Plata, in Argentina, in the Port of Spain, in Trinidad, in Tobago, in Cartagena, in Colombia, Panama City, obviously in Panama, and Lima, Peru. So, I mean, we're seeing that there's been a fair bit of these summits around. Yeah, and a couple like special summits that weren't like officially in the, because it goes on every three or four years, but there was two Mm -hmm. special summits and one was in Santa Cruz de la Sierra, Bolivia in 1996 and Monterey, Nuevo Leon, Mexico in 2004. Okay, cool. So yeah, so like we said, it's the first time that the U.S. has hosted since 1994 in Miami. So like we said, we kind of went over it of who participates and what do they do. So we'll just give a quick rundown of that again. So you're going to have a lot of heads of state in the government. 
you have these senior officials that are coming from governments all over the Western Hemisphere. So essentially, the U.S. president or vice president, they've attended all of the summits of America. So you can clearly tell that the U.S. puts a lot of significance on this, that they're not just sending some bureaucrat over there. They are sending top leadership there. And so you also see the heads of international organizations comprising the Joint Summit Working Group. And so there's 13 multilateral institutions, which multilateral is just other people involved in it or other actors involved in it. And they have these institutions and development finance institutions combined and committed to supporting the summit process. So you're having a lot of these like big working groups really all coming together. There are also national coordinators. You also have the OAS Summit of the Americas Secretariat. And then you have the people in the businesses of the Americas all throughout the hemisphere, which are the quote stakeholders. We got mm -hmm. some important people there. And it's interesting that you mentioned that we always have like high leadership at these summits, which are, you're right, Hunter, we do always a president or VP because I mean, we created it, which like would make sense that we'd always... It would be a pretty bad look for America if you didn't, if you were like, hey, yo, I'm going to host this party and none of these people are going to show up. <laughs> yeah. And it actually was a little bit of a talk at last, the last summit in 2018 in the Lima summit. So going into our next source with, from the ASCOA at the 2018 summit, Western hemisphere governments accepted an offer from then VP Mike Pence for the U.S. to host the ninth summit of the Americas, which is the one that happened this year. And they were, there was a lot of discussion because Trump chose not to attend. And it was noted by many of the countries that, because typically the president has almost always been there. Mm -hmm. And I, and this was the one time he wasn't. And it was a crazy time for the United States. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just been a crazy time for I years mean, now at this point. But a lot of rhetoric that's kind of against the countries in Latin America coming from the Trump administration. I see how this would be pretty contentious. So I can see how one, it would be a slap in the face, especially not to have Donald Trump there, but I also think that it would almost be better. So it wasn't such an inflammatory thing, you know, because if you're already making these more inflammatory remarks about the countries that are at the summit, then it's probably best that you send someone who is not making such inflammatory remarks about the other participants at the summit. Yeah, well, it's just interesting to see because there's a lot of discussion about presidents not attending this year. And so I don't know if I would say that it was contentious or it wasn't publicly said that it was contentious, that it was that he wasn't there, like Trump wasn't at the last one. But mm -hmm. they made a point like they were like, we want you to know that we notice it. Like, why okay. else would you say that? Like, why? Why else would you make a point to be like, I noticed that you weren't here, like you mm -hmm. didn't show up and I know. Yeah. So they, I feel like they didn't want to like outright admit it. Like this is a personal opinion right now, but like, I didn't, I feel like they wouldn't want to admit that they thought it was contentious because they don't want to get on Trump's bad side at, at the time when he was the president. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense diplomatically. Yes. But going back to the summit. So the Western hemisphere governments accepted it. We started hosting and as the host, you get to decide who gets invited to your summit, which mm -hmm. makes sense. And so yeah. the U.S. determines which leaders receive invitations. And this is actually where a little bit of the controversy starts. Like, it wouldn't be an episode with your hot girls if we didn't have a little bit of controversy. So. Yeah. There has to be something there. Yes. Yes. So here's where it all starts. The invitations. So they were issued in May 
And this led to a lot of discussion around whether the summit should include only democratic countries, which would be in accordance with the commitments of the third summit of Americas, or if it should include all countries in the region. At issue in particular, the United States' decision to withhold invitations from Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. And so other contentious. Yeah, you know, United States and Cuba have not been the besties. besties. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the United States is like holding up the commitments that the, everyone in the Summit of America has made. However, if the non-democratic parties were never there to create the commitments and you can't really yeah i mean it's one of those things where it's like what came first the chicken or the egg because at this point like if they weren't there to talk about it at the beginning but then it's just more of like a combined effort to continue to exclude those countries then instead of them being there and then making the commitment and yeah so at this point it just seems like it's more of like a hey we're going to continue to deny these countries Yeah, so some of the countries were not so happy and they threatened to boycott the event over the exclusions. Like they were saying that it's not a real summit of the Americas if not all the Americas are invited, which like, good point. But also like United States like kind of invented this. So yeah, at that point though, I get what they're saying because at that point it's more like a summit of like the democratic Americas, which like if it's going to be that, then you should say it. If it's going to be the summit of Americas of the Americas, then you should have all of the Americas there. So I get, I get that, that I understand completely how that could be a bit of a contentious point. Yeah. And like I said, the major ones that were noted to threaten to boycott were the countries and their, you know, presidents and other heads of state, but also it was regional leaders, heads of multilateral institutions, extra regional observers, and some private sector and civil society stakeholders that were sprinkled in with also threatening to boycott without the inclusion of these countries. Okay. So that was like the big talk about leading up to it. And well, despite the invitations, despite that whole debacle, the Biden administration was still plowing right along and they were talking about what they were going to do in the summit. And so previous summits have launched initiatives on trade, democracy, environment, education, and anti-corruption efforts, which love that. And as well as stimulating cooperation across like a broad range of economic and social fronts, the White House announced in January that the summit this year would focus on the theme, building a sustainable, resilient, and equitable future under four priority areas detailed back in October of 2021 concept paper, which, and these are the four, it's health recovery and resilience. That's the first one. I know it's like three things, but it's the first one. Mm. And then the second one is our green future. And the third one is equitable growth and prosperity. And the fourth one was a strong, inclusive democracies. Okay. So this almost sounds like little like breakout summits at this point. Like this sounds like you're like in model UN and you're like, what do I put on the agenda? Like, what are we going to do for like, what is this caucus going to be? And you have to give it some cute little title or something. Like that's exactly what this sounds like. Yes. And I would have loved to be in the equitable growth and prosperity one. Cause I did, I did the UNEP when I did model UN. So I'm like, Mm. okay, I want to try a different one, but actually, so those were like the main like four priority areas that they were highlighting, but the White House has also indicated commitments on healthcare, digital economy, clean energy transition, 
democracy and migration as an, as like other top priorities for the summit. Okay. So then I guess like going into the private sector. So the private sector, essentially they provide a lot of input throughout the summit process through the American Business Dialogue, otherwise known as the ABD. And this is where you have the Inter-American Development Bank. It also serves as the technical secretariat for it. So that's kind of the leadership in this segment. And so you have the Council of Americas and its member companies that they're really engaged in the ABD and the working groups. And they really are working together to create cohesive and communal policy and recommendations that they can actually give the summit because at that point, like there's no point of them being there if they're not gonna really contribute. So they really do wanna contribute. And this goes for issues like trade facilitation, good like best practices, human resources, tech, agriculture, and health, which are traditionally like pretty big trade issues and trade kind of like you wanna have good developed practices for these things. And so the working groups, they're really open. And so any regional company that would like to participate can go and participate in these working groups. We love that. We love free and open participation mm-hmm. from companies that want to help develop the region. I'd love to hear that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the COA and the summit. We talked about the private sector. I mean, I feel like when the private sector is involved, you always know it's about business and yeah, absolutely. growing the economy. That's always like their top priority, even if they don't say it. They're like economy first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, I just like conflate private sector and economics together because at that point, you're right. It mostly is just yeah. economic stuff that they're dealing with. They're like, yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. But when are we going to talk about the economy? Yeah, we want to talk about the money, y'all. <laughs> Give me the money. Show yeah. me where the money is. Yeah, definitely. So the COA and the summit. The COA is the Council of the Americas, and it's been a part of the summit since inception in 1994. And in 2020, at the request of the United States Department of State, the council joined the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in submitting a paper offering U.S.-based private sector input into the ninth summit of the Americas. So they they got up all in there in the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're a part of the Chamber of Commerce. We love that. Love to see it. Yeah, well, they they had just joined it offering a paper and they actually did this along with papers from the Joint Summit Working Group and US-based civil society organizations. And then it was also submitted to national summit coordinators for review. So they're really trying to get on the agenda because typically it's the host who kind of decides what's going to go on. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously they're all working together, but the host is like the lead. Yeah, I mean, you're hosting this this whole dinner party, this whole little shebang right here. So, of course, it's going to be whatever you say. If you're having dinner party shenanigans, if you're playing charades, if you're doing a murder mystery, it's all what the host wants. Exactly. And in an effort to sweeten the host a bit or persuade, you you, one could even say lobbying. I wouldn't say that, but you could. So in collaboration with the State Department Bureau of Western Hemisphere Affairs, the Council of the Americas, COA, hosted the 52, 52nd Washington Conference on the Americas in May 2022. Okay. So this was, and they were doing this to focus on the preparations for the Ninth Summit of the Americas. They're kind of like whispering in Washington's ear. They're like, hey. They're like, hey, 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 yeah. Get ready Don't for forget this. about us. Remember okay. the COA. Love that. All right. So I guess going into it a little bit more. So there was some drama surrounding the Summit of Americas. So Erica, you know, 
we love our Geminis. We truly are. We truly are the truest sense of Geminis. And I love that so much. But we all know Geminis love a little bit of some flavor, a little bit of drama. So Erica, can you spill the tea? What was the drama at the Summit of Americas? What was the drama leading up? What was it? Just spill the tea for us. Where was it coming from with the Summit of Americas? Okay, so the big, like, I don't want to say nail in the coffin, but mm-hmm. whatever the phrase is, the one that like kind of raised sirens where everyone was like, oh my God, this is like bad. There's drama. There's yes. drama. Yes, was when Mexico's president, Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador, said he wouldn't attend the summit because not all the nations in the region were invited. Okay, and so Mexico, pretty big player here. Yeah, you you could say that, definitely. Pretty big player, you know, just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're the United States neighbor. They're like a couple hours from LA. Like that's a, like, you can't even, you can't even lie yeah. and say like travel they're logistics. Li- like, what do you- no, I mean, it's literally right next door to LA. So I mean, it's like. <laughs> You know, especially, I mean, it, yeah, it, we have we we have such close relations with Mexico that it's like, what what do you mean Mexico's not coming? Like that's one of your besties. Like when America's sitting down at the lunch table and they're like, okay, cool, I have Canada, I have Mexico, my two besties here. Like that's that yeah. those are the two that you really want there. I mean, the Los Angeles has such like a vibrant Mexican community, so it's. Mm-hmm. Like if any of the cities in the United States, like Miami has Hispanic Latino, but it's more like Cuban and like Central mm-hmm. American, but like Los Angeles, California, yes. California in general, like huge, huge Mexican population. So yeah. for the fact that Mexican president was like, mm, not me, not today. Yeah. I mean, like the Mexican diaspora within LA is just insane. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. So the fact that Mexico wasn't showing up, so definitely some drama there. Yes. And like we said, President Trump didn't attend Peru's summit last year, but he sent VP Mike Pence in his place. Mm. President Lopez Obrador is sending Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebrard in his place. So not even a VP. I don't know how close him and yeah, I don't know how close him and the foreign minister are, but it's not like a heavy hitter. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's like sending like the secretary of state here where it's like, yeah, still a pretty big heavy hitter, but compared to the president and the VP, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Yeah. And president Obrador was not shy about not attending. Like he wasn't like, Oh, I'm just like feeling sick. I have COVID. He, he didn't get any might, excuses. I might be there. I might not. Yeah. He's there. like, I'll try. Like it's a maybe yeah. for me. No, he was like, I'm not coming. And this is a direct, is a solid no. Do and this is a direct quote from him. There can't be a summit of the Americas if not all <laughs> countries of the American continent are taking part. You know, period, as as he should say that, because I mean, like I said, if you want to brand it as the summit of America's Democratic edition, then that's one thing. Or if you want to say the Democratic summit of the Americas, then yeah, that's totally one thing. But if you're branding it as, hey, this is all of the Americas, but then you're like, we're purposefully excluding some of these countries, which, you know. I, I do feel like democracy is a great thing. I do prefer to live in a democracy rather than an authoritarian dictator regime. However, you can't market this as a summit of all of the Americas if they're not included. So I mean, the, the Mexican president, he's, re- he's pretty valid in saying this. I mean, honestly, it's pretty bold diplomatic move on his part, I feel like, but it, what he's saying, it makes sense. Yeah, and that quote came from our source, Al Jazeera. And another thing that they mentioned in this article was that 
the United States allegedly excluded Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela, citing human rights concerns and a lack of democratic rule. Now, a senior Biden administration official told Reuters and AFP news agencies that the White House was excluding these countries. And there was a quote that the U.S. continues to maintain reservations regarding the lack of democratic space and human rights situations in the three countries. This was according to the source. However, in other articles, the identity of the source claimed an anonymity. So we can't really confirm if it was a senior Biden administration and the White House declined to comment. So the White House was not out here expressly stating that's why they weren't inviting them. Mm. It's just kind of like reported. So interesting nuggets. Like that's such a bold move that you think that you would just explain it. And especially if you're saying, hey, we're really holding true to our standards that we all agreed at at the third summit. So we're just holding true to what we had all laid out before and all agreed to before. I think that that's such a very easy way to get that kind of diplomatic blowback off of you is just stating the exact reason why it's not happening, especially if you have that kind of morality and that high ground to stand on of, hey, this is what we all agreed to. We're just following through and we're just being a good host by following through on what we all said and what we all agreed to. So the fact that they weren't coming out and claiming this, that is really interesting and I think that it almost begs to ask more questions about it like I think if anything that just really opens up the Biden administration to say to to be questioned on why exactly were you excluding these countries because if you're gonna go as far to not even claim that and not just fully step out and say that then that's that's really interesting. Hunter if everyone admitted their strategies the way you just talked about politics would be completely different. I feel like I mean, we got a little fair. too used to Trump's boldness. Like Trump never hid what he was doing. He like tweeted it. And but exactly. at the same time, I mean, America has been so unapologetically democratic and especially President Biden just really focusing and really holding hard on, on needing to be a democracy to truly like interact with the U.S. and have really great relations with the U.S., I think that it would have been a no-brainer for the Biden administration just to come out and say that. I mean, if he's been so hard on non-democracies already of where he's like, hey, we're not going to have the best relationship. Like, like we want to have you be democratic. I, I think that it would be pretty easy for them to come out and say it without facing much political backlash, especially by not having the Mexican president show up. Like, you know, I, it just it just doesn't make sense to me politically. But then again, there's quite a few issues of the Biden administration's foreign policy that doesn't fully click with me. So I guess we're just going to add this one onto that. I've got to say, like, I I have to disagree with you here, Hunter, just because of the way that the previous administration handled migration, immigration, and Latin America in general. It mm-hmm. was not in a it wasn't in the best interest for Latin America. So I can see where Latin American leaders are already skeptical skeptical of the United States just from previous rhetoric. So mm-hmm. I can imagine Biden, like it's one thing to insinuate something. It's another thing to just come right out and say it. And yet like, yes, it's bold, but I would, Biden's administration from what I've seen, I wouldn't consider it a bold administration. It's kind of like putting up fires. If I had, yeah. if I had mm-hmm. to like describe his administration as just putting out a bunch of, huge, huge fires, huge fires. And he's just so overtaken with that. So he hasn't really had time to be bold in my opinion. And I can see where he might not want to kick off with a summit of the Americas being bold to the region. That's, that's all I have to say with that one. And I, so I can understand it 
Um, but actually the Mexican president wasn't the only one that was like upset. I mean, that was probably the biggest one, but the Chilean president stated that the exclusion of Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela from regional meetings was an error and a mistake. And just, critic, oh. Sorry, I, I just, just going back though, I mean, I agree with you, the Biden administration, it has been very just like, okay, run over here, put out this fire, run over here, put out that fire. But I mean, they literally held a whole summit for democracy. So it's like, you can, like, if there's one thing that this administration is not really afraid to do, it's really promote democracy and really promote it as one of the key interests of American foreign policy. So that's just where this just isn't clicking for me. Because I mean, you've already held this summit. So why don't you just go and say that you're kind of doing the same thing for this next summit? That's, to me, it just doesn't make sense. I just think that there's something, something a little off about that. No, there is. Because if you're really trying to promote democracy in the areas, why wouldn't you invite them? We're making such great moves by promoting democracy. And this is what really happens when you engage with democracy. So, yeah, I mean, sorry. well, that's what I'm saying. No. That's why I think they didn't say it, because like that might not be the true underlying reason. Like, again, mm-hmm. nobody ever admits like the true things with politics. Yeah. No, I shouldn't say nobody, but like it it's yeah. kind of like hiding behind shadows. Like they insinuate, they dance around it. But like going out right and saying it, that's not like a typical political strategy that many politicians use. Mm-hmm. And so if they came out and said, oh yeah, it's because of your human rights abuses. Like then if that wasn't the case, which again, doesn't make mm-hmm. sense that they wouldn't invite them if they're trying yeah. to promote democracy. So if there really is underlying region, reason, they're not lying. They're just insinuating. And like, you were wrong to make that assumption if it ever mm-hmm. comes out that that wasn't the motive. It's just really interesting to see two very different administrations, yet they both seem to have handled this summit poorly. Just, I mean, because like, it just, it is two very different administrations. And yet, I I wouldn't say that this one was as inflammatory as the last, but I do think that this administration still was pretty, not handling this in the best way. I mean, they didn't even come right out and say it, and it still caused waves. Like, going back to those boycotts, critics have said that the choice to divide countries along ideological lines will make addressing larger regional issues like food insecurity and inflation and efforts to convince like regional countries to boost oil and gas production, like especially with Russia invading Ukraine, a lot more difficult, which is like true. Mm -hmm. And others have noted that the willingness of some countries to threaten boycotts underlines the diminishing influence of Washington in the region, which Hunter, get ready for this, Mm because as you know, Latin America has increasingly turned to China and they're currently... Latin America's second largest trading partner after the United States, of course. But so mm-hmm. again, the like Mexico literally like went for the throat. They're like, I'm not coming. Bye. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, we even saw that like in a very like realistic sense, in a very tangible sense in our BRI episode on the digital Silk Road. We were talking about that and we learned about that all in that episode. So you're seeing these very like tangible things coming from China in support of Latin America and the rest of the Americas, especially in the Caribbean too, that China really is growing in influence here. So the fact that the US is even alienating some of the countries within Latin America and just the region in general is just, it's mind boggling. It doesn't make sense to alienate these countries when you're already kind of like fighting and you're already starting to fall behind in influence. So it just, like I said, this administration does not seem to be handling this the best way. And it's just very bizarre that you wouldn't try and do a bit of a better job with this, especially when you were the country that created it. 
you're also hosting it. <laughs> like, it just, there's a lot of things going wrong with this. But I mean, it, just to go back on the influence thing, you're also seeing that this is partially becoming a thing due to economic reasons. So the $4 billion package that was aimed at addressing migration from Central America, it's still stalled in Congress. So you're not even having that go and having your domestic politics really help you out here either. So you're not doing yourself any favors with your foreign policy. You're not doing yourself any favors with your domestic policy of trying to help figure out these issues and coming up with funding sources and all of these other things to really fix the problems that are going on that you're gonna be talking about at this thing. So it's from both ends, it's not going well for the administration here. And so you're seeing that President Biden and VP Harris, they both personally reached out to Latin American leaders to encourage them to attend. And they were especially on Argentina and Honduras who both expressed support for the boycott, which is interesting because, because if you paid attention during our BRI episodes, you'll know that Honduras and Argentina both have a pretty close and growing relationship with China. Argentina is getting a ton of funding from them on the BRI to go and have clean green energy infrastructure projects like solar parks and hydroelectric and nuclear power. And Honduras also very recently just changed its status to go and recognize China over Taiwan. So you're seeing that these countries are growing closer to China. And so now you're seeing that, okay, well, the president and the vice president, they did reach out to these two countries. So that was pretty good for them. I guess that, that was a little bit of saving face there. But you also saw that Argentinian president Alberto Fernandez, he did confirm that he would attend the events. But at this point, with, when the source was consulted, Honduran president, they said that they would send the foreign minister, Eduardo Enrique Reina, in place of President Zimora Castro. So you're seeing that that was a bit of back and forth of, yeah, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but I'll send my foreign minister anyways. Yeah, they, I, okay, when you read that, they like call the American leaders or personally reach out to the Latin American leaders to encourage attendance. Like, I just, that's so embarrassing. Like, are you sure you're going to come to my party? Are you sure you're going to come? Like, it's like sending a Facebook group invite for a party. And then like all the people who clicked, like maybe, or even not going, you like call them and you're like, Hey, I know you said like, maybe, or that you weren't going, like, but like, have you thought about changing your mind? That's like, yeah. like, Hey, I just want to like check in. Are you sure you're going to like come to my sleepover? Like, I really just want to like double check and make sure you're coming. Like, no, at that point you should be so sure of the summit that you're putting on that you're sure that all of the invited guests are going to be showing up. But the fact that you had U.S. leadership just not confident in that fact, that they're personally reaching out to these leaders to see if they're coming, I think that that really shows a lot of how this administration has handled this summit. So we talked about the boycotts. We talked about what's been going on in Washington and what's, you know, what the American or the Latin American leaders are thinking or just the Americas region Mm -hmm. as a whole. But let's talk about what was at stake for Biden at the 2022 Summit of Americas. So let's talk about, we're going to do a real quick rapid fire because Hunter and I have been going off a little bit in this episode. So mm-hmm. just to kind of go through it quickly, which if you guys want to hear more on this, we'd be happy to do like a part two or a little bonus episode. Mm-hmm. But what role has the Summit of the Americas played in the region? So since its inception in 1994, Clinton had ambitious plans to create a free trade area that would have reduced or eliminated trade areas across much of the region. 
trade bear or trade areas across much of the region. And we mentioned before that they wanted to promote democracy and increase cooperation. So there was a lot of plans. However, you know, if you're thinking anything like we are, which is that we had never really heard of the Summit of the Americas before this episode, I think that kind of tells you how those plans went. Mm -hmm. So in 2001, that's when the summit announced the Inter-American Democratic Charter, which enshrined democracy as a bedrock value, which we discussed part of the reason why Cuba and Nicaragua and Venezuela might've been excluded. And other summits while addressing democracy also were going for anti-corruption efforts, education reform, social development programs, and drug policy, very, very prominent issues and key areas for the Latin American region. So definitely not any surprise there. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a continuing theme of division between the countries in the region with excluding whether or not to include non-democratic countries. So Cuba was actually excluded from the first six summits, which was pretty much demanded by the United States until President Obama restored U.S. relations with Cuba. And that's when the island made its first appearance. Mm-hmm. But now we see Cuba excluded again, which is interesting because President Biden was VP when Obama was president. So a little bit of a interesting tidbit there. And mm-hmm. of course, Nicaragua has its authoritarian rule. So no bueno for democratic countries. And not really a, the first on the invite list right there. Yeah. And I mean, I think we did our Venezuelan episode, like real OG hot girls will know like that. We know that, you know, <laughs> Venezuela is not going to get invite yeah. anytime soon. She is, she's not on America's good list. She is not on the invite list. Yeah. And along with these controversies and, you know, obviously not a lot has come out of the summit of the Americas. They've also been overshadowed by huge controversies such as the Odebrecht corruption case, which like I had not heard of this and I'm so surprised it's also known as Lava Hato, and it's huge, huge. We are going to talk about it. I've already told Hunter, mm. we've started on the research. We're going to talk about it. Uh, yes. like it implicated multiple former and current heads of state, most notably in Brazil and Peru. So this actually prompted 2018 summit host Peruvian president, Pedro Pablo Kuczynski, to resign and 18 heads of state skipped that year's summit including President Trump. It is on the list. It is on the slate for us. So we absolutely will be talking about that in a future episode. And I can't wait for that episode. Yeah. And then, you know, we talked about the boycotts in response to not having Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela invited, but also Guatemalan President Alejandro Giamate was not happy that the U.S. imposed sanctions on his government for corruption, Mm -hmm. which like, I get it. I hear you. Nobody's going to be happy about that. Yeah. Nobody's going to be happy. He's like, you impose sanctions on me. So now now I won't go to your summit. (laughs) Yeah. And so actually, and while Venezuela wasn't invited, the interim Venezuelan government that the U.S. recognizes was invited. So Juan Gallito stands in this house. That's who we are. That is a position that we will take. We are in favor of Juan Gallito. Yeah. And the most notable. And so that's like kind of what's at stake in regards to Washington, United States influence. And for the issues that are at stake, just a real quick rapid fire, COVID-19, climate change, economic recovery, migration and security and political polarization, which I could agree. Those are definitely issues at stake. Mm -hmm. So going into our last source, we're going to be talking a bit about. So what actually came what actually came out of the Summit of America? So 
we have our source. It's actually compiled of a couple of different speakers and authors from the Council on Foreign Relations. And so this specifically comes from the Council of Councils. So we're just kind of going to split this off and just kind of talk about their takes on it, just because they are all very highly respected within their field, talking about kind of their interpretation of the Summit of America. So first of all, we're starting off with Oliver Stunkel. And so he was talking about how the original idea that brought everyone together was this concept of this free trade zone within throughout like the whole hemisphere, basically. And obviously it didn't happen. So it's like, well, if you're already starting out on a bad note, is there really gonna be much accomplished from future endeavors with the same thing? And so like we were saying throughout this episode, you're seeing a lot of talk at this summit, but you're not necessarily seeing a lot of action and follow through from the countries, from the summit. So that's one of those things. And so you're already seeing that countries in the Western hemisphere, they're already depending on the US a lot less. They're going to China, they're moving to other actors. You're seeing this just like we were talking about in our past episodes of where Venezuela close ties with China. You're seeing Latin America, tons of investment from China. You're seeing that just earlier, just of what we were talking about in this episode too. So it's pretty interesting that the US thinks that it has as much control over the summit as it once did, but it's clear to see that that's not necessarily the case anymore. And then finally, he also makes the point that mayors are a really good place to start and have good conversations going. And so what had actually come out is that the Biden administration, they are organizing the city summit of the Americas in April, 2023, and this will actually be taking place in Denver. And so just from my own personal experience, mayors really hold a lot of sway in foreign policy that nobody ever really thinks about. They help open cities up to foreign investment and foreign firms. They really help a lot in foreign policy. So just seeing this happening, I do think that this is a really great move from the Biden administration. Like, I'll just flat out say that. I do think that this is very promising. And I think that there's almost more room for good things to happen at this city summit than there is at the Summit of Americas, honestly, just because you're gonna have a lot of sister city agreements. You're gonna be having these mayors coming and talking with local businesses of how they can collaborate and produce best practices and things. So if anything, I have more hope for the city summit of Americas than I do for the overall summit of Americas, if I'm being fully transparent here. Yeah, and you better be attending, Hunter. It's right <laughs> in Denver, like you're gonna be there. I know, I think I might have to you know, take a trip on down to downtown. I might have to fly out just to attend it with you. Hawk Rose, we'll attend the summit and we'll report for you guys. We will have live reporting every day if that happens. Oh Our God. first live show. Imagine. We could do a live show in Denver. How crazy Oh my that? God. Oh my God. We might just have to do it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so going on to our next source uh, or our next commentary from Shannon K. O'Neill. So she was talking about how there was no true concrete plans to take on issues, which like Hunter said, there was a lot of talk, not a lot of action, which we all know it's the follow through and not just about what you're going to do. Like we all, we can all think of amazing plans all day, but if it actually gets done, that's where it comes in. What, that's where it's important. So health policy was first on the agenda, which, quote, new regional initiatives were announced to increase the number of trained personnel and to bolster health systems in the face of ongoing challenges and for future pandemics or other public health crises. So that was a quote from Shannon. And I'm, again, internally cringing because it's like announced. 
why not initiated? Why mm-hmm. like let's get an action verb, okay? Like, yeah, it's like we're gonna talk about everything we want to do at this summit, and then we're <laughs> gonna talk about it more at another summit, and then we might talk about it a little bit more at a different one after we've gone through three different times. Like, no, you're already you're already all here, you're already all in the room. Just figure it out now while you're all here instead of like, oh yeah, it's just pushing it off. It's just like it'd be so like me annoying. saying, like, oh my God, I really want Indian food. That implies that I'm gonna go get Indian food right now. But what I'm not telling yeah. you is the fact that every Indian place near me is already closed. So mm-hmm. I can't do that. That is yeah. that's what it feels like. It it's just very, yeah. It's like it, just dangling it right in front of everyone. Of, yeah, we'd love to do this, but then just not ever getting to it, which is so irritating. Yeah. And so that was for the health policy, but Shannon K. O'Neill also talked about migration being a hot topic, which we know that, I mean, obviously probably the hottest topic I would say Mm -hmm. in my personal opinion. And so migration was a hot topic and a lot of countries offered to streamline migration processes. And they, there was a discussion of how to finance the costs of migration and the processes used to take in migrants. I feel like the United States on migration, especially with everything held up due to COVID definitely like I imagine like all the Latin Americans were like or Latin American countries and the rest of the Americas were like yeah let's streamline this the United States is like hold on mm-hmm. hold, hold up on. hold up hold up like we just gave a lot of aid to Ukraine the camera don't necessarily have a couple billion just laying around <laughs> so then Shannon also talked about economics which the U.S. led with an initiative for quote countries to work together on pillars including trade climate change, supply chain resilience, human and social capital formation. Again, more of a plan to discuss than a plan of doing anything though. So yeah. love to see it. Love to see it. So I mean, this one's new. It was like a plan of a plan. Yeah. It was a plan to plan. <laughs> it was a plan to plan. That's what I want. It was like, yo, put this on the agenda for the next one. We need to come up with a plan for it. Instead of coming up with a plan right now and then figuring out the direct financing and everything. It's just, and just reading this, like, it makes me cringe and it just makes me so upset that, like, this is, this is politics. And I know, I know that we both went into this because we love it. And I know that all of you are listening because you want to know more. I would love to know more as well, but there's no information for us to give you on this because it's just a plan to plan. So we can't even give you more information on it, which is one of the most disheartening things I think that we could say. I'd rather have the, let's wait and see, because at least they did something. And now we just have to wait to see the results. There's nothing to even wait and see about on this. There's just nothing. It's just, it doesn't even exist. So we can't even say, let's wait and see. We have to say, let's wait for the plan to come out and then let's wait and see, which is just years down the road at this point. So, anyways, I digress. So, moving on to our third out of the fourth commentator on this source, Andre Rosenthal. So, you know, as we talked about before, the Mexican president said that he would not show up. No surprise here, the Mexican president did not show up, but only a few others boycotted. And this included El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. So that's fine. I mean, Guatemala, they already said that they weren't coming. They said, you know what? You call me corrupt, I'm not coming. <laughs> Guatemala wasn't even boycotting the Cuba not being included. He's just like, how dare you insult He's like, first of all, I'm personally, I am personally offended. I'm not coming. <laughs> so Guatemala did not show up. Uh, kind of to be expected at that point. You know, they said they weren't going to show up and they didn't show up. So here we are. Um, But overall, Biden, he really did focus on democracy and quote, Mexico's foreign minister came out with a surprise proposal to replace the organization of American states with a more inclusive body representing all the countries of Latin America and the Caribbean. 
you what also about Kiana? Saw, I mean, I don't know, but that's not what the source was saying. So <laughs> that's not what Andre was saying. So then Andre also goes on to report that Mexico, they also wanted the U.S. to, so Mexico also wanted the U.S. to end the embargo against Cuba and to normalize relations. And newsflash, none of these ideas really went over very well with everyone. <laughs> there wasn't a ton of support behind either one of these. So, you know, just going off of that. And then, like we've said throughout this entire episode, the U.S. has historically promised funding and it just doesn't come true, especially when it's coming from the private sector. It just doesn't end up making it to fruition. So overall, Andre's characterization of the summit was that it was pretty much not really newsworthy. That's that's what we're getting from these commentators. Just a whole lot of nothing is basically yeah. what Andres is saying. Pretty much. So you know what? All right. Same with this. It, it's just the same. <laughs> All right. Well, and our last source or our last commentator, this I know this has been a bit of a long episode. So we'll try and get through this pretty quickly. But Juan Batalame, uh, he compared the very first summit of the Americas and this year's. And I mean, the one thing they had in common was that the United States was leading. However, he highlighted that the difference between what the United States was saying back then and what they were saying now is they're pretty much advocating for similar things. The difference though, is that when it comes to what the Americas want, because at the time, when President Clinton was offering these ideas of strengthening free markets and boosting regional and hemispheric institutions, protecting human rights. That was all right after the Cold War. And there was a rise of unipolar world opening, a new political space was coming to light. And there was a disastrous economic situation of the 1980s. So everyone in the region was like, yeah, we need to change. We need to change. In 2022, everyone's got completely different issues. And so it makes it hard for them to get onto the same common agenda. Someone's got economic failures. Another one's got political instability. Then there's Latin America's political leadership on the defensive and increasingly nationalistic. So like we talked about earlier, like the influence, the the soft power of the United States is just not there. So Mm. Juan is basically saying in his commentary that the America's region is just not really, they're like, why would we listen to you, America, United States? Why would we, why would we want to hear what you have to say? And again, they were all open to change when Clinton was offering all these ideas and look where that got us. We, so like, yeah, why I mean, would they like, want to trust that? If you're going to like lack on the follow through with stuff, people are going to start to just think, oh, well, what's the point of even engaging at this point? Like there's none, like I'm just wasting my time here. Nothing's going to be accomplished from this. So why am I wasting my time? And you know, that's completely understandable. Yeah. And so the, so Juan also said that the only thing all these regions really have in common is poor performance, which like, ouch, endemic corruption, another ouch, and weakened divisive leadership, Yikes. Tri- triple ouch. And so, I mean, this source really is saying ouch to everyone, ouch yeah. to everyone. So Juan poses, he's like, the question for the Biden administration is, will his proposed America's partnership for economic prosperity be seen as the proper framework for advancing shared economic development? And, you know, Biden was calling for a united front when facing common and interconnected challenges, the need for U.S. partnerships, which like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even going to say anything, but y- y'all know, and that the U.S. is ready to listen to the region. However, Juan's like, yeah, business as usual is probably just going to go, it's going to go back right back to how it was after the summit, because 
Latin American governments tend to prefer to work on a bilateral basis rather than multilaterally. Mm-hmm. So that is what our lovely commentators had to say about the Summit of the Americas. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It, I'm laughing yeah. because I'm worried, guys, not because I think this is funny. Yeah, so I mean, all in all, it seems like there was a lot of nothing achieved here except for some hurt feelings. So, you know, sounds like a great day in politics. Um, it's just really interesting to see, like I said before, just of how two administrations both handled this summit extremely poorly. And I think that that really says something about how America is really reacting towards its neighbors and other actors just even within the same hemisphere. So I think that it's really interesting to see and I can only hope that the next summit of Americas goes even better. And like I said before, I really do have a lot of hope for the city's summit of the Americas because I really do think that that's a really good place that a lot of these things could be achieved. And I think that that's a place where there's a lot of potential for dialogue, especially because you have these very regional actors that know a lot more about their specific communities than the overall federal leaders do. You know, Joe Biden's not going to know as much about Denver as the Denver mayor is. It's just, it's just not a thing. You know, it's one of those things of where you just have that expertise by being that regional leader that's very immersed within this smaller community that you know the problems, you know the best practices, you know what you're good at, you know what you're bad at, you know what you can improve with versus where you have the very overarching figures coming in and trying to really figure out things for these like niche areas. So I really do have a lot more hope for that one. And I do think that a lot could be achieved at that summit. So we'll just have to wait and see for that one. That one we can say that we'll wait and see for. Yeah, you'll have to wait and catch us at the summit, the city summit of the Americas in Denver, April 2023 with your live hosts, Hunter and Erica (laughs) from Half Hour Briefing. We will be live tweeting the entire experience. <laughs> I'll Twitch stream for you all. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will be on camera. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I think that's all. We know it's been a bit of a longer episode, so we'll cut it short and sweet right here at the end. Won't leave you guys mm-hmm. too much of a outro, but we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for the corruption Lava Hato case, because let me tell you, that is crazy. I've only read some of it and I'm already like, this is, this is all over the place. It's going to so. be amazing. Yes. But probably a right. two-parter actually. Honestly, it could be, it could be, mm-hmm. you know what? We did say we'd sneak in some two-parters for y'all and yeah, you know, we, we kind of work on for a month. So I mean, we yeah. might just, we might just be slipping in a two-parter to a podcast streaming service near you. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, thanks so much Hunter for talking about this. We will see you guys next week on our next episode of Hot Girl Briefing. Absolutely. Stay hot, hot girls. Love y'all and see y'all next Monday. Bye. Bye.